Welcome back to a very spooktacular episode of the Unapologetic Pod. In this episode, we're going over the incredible weekend of sports, the UFC card, the World Series, and week eight of the NFL. And here we go. Welcome back to another episode of the Unapologetic Pod. I am one of your hosts, Logan Perry, alongside Andrew Johnson and Mason Scheel. And today we have an absolutely jam-packed episode for you guys, including all the Week 8 NFL games, some USC card talk, and a little bit of World Series talk. But before we get to everything, Mason just wants to say a few words about his absence and some sorts of things like that. Hey, how you guys doing? Um, I'm back. I know I've been gone a while. I mean, we did take that company retreat for a couple weeks, uh, just worked on ourselves a bit, but I'm happy to be back. Usually when we record, um, I'm away. I'm either at work or I have something going on and I'm not able to be here. And I do miss you guys a lot. Um, This is a lot of fun being able to sit here and talk sports with everyone. It's something I really enjoy doing, so I'm happy to be back. Um, I'm going to try to make it around more, and my promise to you guys is that I'll always be here with those cheesy cheeky little one-liners that I can just pop in from time to time make you guys laugh so I missed you guys thank you for welcoming me back with open arms and I look forward to being around more often so uh, without further ado let's get into these games a little bit shall we yeah we're just gonna dive right into it mind you we are watching Sunday night football right now as we're we're recording because you know getting it done earlier the better but yeah no Thursday night game was uh, was a good way to start out the football week, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, it was for sure a good way to start out the week with the Green Bay Packers taking down the last undefeated team of the NFL and the Arizona Cardinals 24-21. Yeah, so shout out to the Packers for that. Um, I think they came in, they went into Arizona, and I think they looked, honestly, I think their offense is pretty mediocre. They didn't play a a very well game, a very good game, rather, sorry. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't look really spectacular Um, at the end he kind of got it together a little bit but I think the one shining moment or thing that came from that game for the Packers offense that we can look at is the versatility of their two running backs I have now I think Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are definitely going to start to become more of a threat to teams going down the stretch of the NFL season AJ Dillon's kind of that big bruiser back but he's also very agile he made a couple really good cuts inside the red zone um to pick up those extra yards and get them closer to getting touchdowns. And Aaron Jones, I mean, obviously there was a play where they split him out wide. And uh, shout-out to the cornerback that was on him. He had a great play. But um, using Aaron Jones as a threat out wide and then having A.J. Dillon being able to pound the ball down your throat is something I think the Packers um, can look forward to. And then shout-out to Douglas, the corner, to pick it off in the end zone to seal that game. Um, I just think it was a good game especially by the Packers' defense. I think they carried him more. Uh, but other than that, I think Logan had a little bit more to say about that, maybe uh, clean up some things I missed. Yeah, no, you hit a couple of things there pretty right on the head there. A.J. Dillon, this is exactly what we are looking for in a game of him. We want to see them be able to use both running backs efficiently, using A.J. Dillon in bruising moments more often, giving him 16 carries here for 78 yards. That's that's a good slate for him, like, that's exactly what the Packers drafted for and used him. And Aaron Jones, he was the leading receiver with seven catches for 51 yards. 
it wasn't a crazy offensive game. Aaron had under 200 total passing yards, Rodgers that is, and Kyler Murray was picked off twice, the MVP frontrunner. No one really had a great game on offense, but it really did show as a defensive game with the last play being a pick in the end zone to seal it for the Packers. I think one <clears throat> really good thing about the Packers' defense stepping up too is the last time they won the Super Bowl, they had a really good defense, and I think the Packers' defense is especially beating an undefeated Cardinals team coming down the stretch week seven or week eight, rather, my bad, um, and them, go them going forward and having a bye a couple weeks down the road, being able to recoup and recover over that bye week, and then even getting Devontae and Alan Lazard, yeah, yeah. They, and MVS. They didn't have their top three receivers in this game. I mean, Randall Cobb did have three catches, two of them going for a touchdown, so it was nice to see a little vintage Cobb there in the slot. little vintage Cobb and Rodgers action. You don't – Bears fans will love those two. I know that going right down the middle, fourth and I don't fourth and eight. That's a different game, but good memories for Packers fans. But all in all, I think it was a good game by the Packers defense. Uh, but both offenses, I feel like pattered out a little bit in the end. The I mean, you guys probably touched it all. I think the only thing that they didn't touch was that I guess everyone knew the wide receivers for the Packers would be out, and they kind of you kind of figure they would implement a running game, and the fact that they did with the Cardinals probably knowing that they were probably going to run more often than none, and they still did it successfully, I think it shows how dangerous they could be, like Mason said. Do you see it as a little bit of a statement that they can morph their offense a little? Yeah, and I also think it's like it's kind of scary. Like I'm not the biggest Packer fan, but when you got your defense playing like that w against a healthy Cardinals team versus your offense with three your top three wide receiver options out and still being able to win – I think it's a very high confident confidence booster for the Packers, and you know what? They're dangerous. I'll say it. I'm not. This takes a lot out of me, but they are a dangerous team, and they're looking better and better as the weeks go. But enough about getting all lovey-dovey over the Packers, a team that I really don't like. We'll go into the first game on the Sunday slate with the Panthers at the Falcons, and the Panthers. Actually came away with this one, 19-13. It was kind of a boring game. Sam Darnold got taken out in the fourth quarter with a concussion protocol, head injury. Matt Ryan did not play well. Two picks, not even 150 yards passing. The offenses for both teams really didn't look that good. Both uh, receivers on each of the team only totaling up 60 yards for to lead their team. So it's kind of tough. Yeah, two things I'm thinking of off the top of my head for this game. First, I want to say I hope everything's okay for Calvin Ridley out there as he's stepping away from football right now for some personal matters. I hope everything is all right for him right now. I just want to say shout out to him for that. And the second thing I want to say is Matt Ryan showed some fucking toughness today. Uh, there was... There was a scene that they showed during the game where he had blood just gushing out of his non-throwing hand, and he was just wrapping it up in his game towel while he was sitting, standing in the huddle calling a play. And he just kept throwing for it. Grant, the next play after he got stepped on for that, he threw a pick, but I don't even blame a guy for throwing a pick on that. Like, I'm sure the adrenaline and the feeling of having your hand just being numb, catching the ball right after the, like, snap there, had to have been a wild experience for him. And speaking of having blood on that glove, if he got too much of it, I hope it didn't ruin it. Shout out to my boy uh, OJ for that one. And uh, 
final notes of this game, no one really notable for fantasy. No one had crazy games. Chuba Hubbard had a touchdown, 80 yards, and Cordell Patterson also had a touchdown. I'm pretty sure, yeah, receiving five catches for 37 and a touchdown. Other than that, nothing crazy for this game, so might as well move on to the next one. This is the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills, which the end score was 26 to 11, the Bills, and First things I gotta say is this was a boring game to start. I think it was three to three going into halftime, and it looked as if the Bills were not at all their usual selves going against a one and six Miami Dolphins team that was holding them to three points at halftime. Yeah, like like you just said, it, it's just weird to see a game like this become three to three at halftime. It's kind of weird. Dolphins could have been up. Jason Sanders, he was super consistent with the field goals. Him and Young Wei Koo both were super consistent. They both broke their streaks today on easy field goals. He missed like a 36-yarder in the first quarter. They could have been up 6-3. to three. Who knows how the game would have went. But, yeah, other than that, like, this game was really boring. Granted, like, those last eight points in the fourth quarter for the Dolphins were just garbage time. So it's a little – looks a little closer than it was. But, yeah, boring game. We really all thought it would be more – more of a blowout more lopsided towards buffalo but and another thing i want to say is that every time every week it seems like i'm just not liking Tua even more like i really don't believe in him anymore i mean yeah going 21 for 39 205 yards and one pick no touchdowns it's not a very can like game that makes you be reassured of him especially when the few plays i did see while we were watching red zone as we weren't paying close attention to this game was the fact that each play they showed of him it wasn't good throws there's a lot of consistent throws in double coverage and throws where he shouldn't be throwing into those windows where he has no business on his incompletions yeah we're talking like his completion percentage a little over 50 so you don't want to see more more better stats i guess per se but other than that, the game was kind of boring. We can go to the next game, which was the 49ers at Chicago. With San Francisco being the away team at Chicago, they took the win 33-22 to against the hometown Bears. And a few takeaways from this game, uh, Justin Fields had his more coming out party as the rookie QB everyone thought he would be when he was taken in the first round having 10 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown while also throwing for 175 and a touchdown. He did have an interception, but at least he was in the positive ratios of touchdowns to interceptions today. One thing on the other side of the ball, too, is Elijah Mitchell for the 49ers came to play a little bit more today. Um, Jimmy G is obviously back in the lineup, and I think that brings a lot more stability to that Niners offense, which I think showed in the game against the Bears today, putting up 33 points. I mean, especially the fact that his successor, if everyone's talking about with Lance being able to run, he ran for two touchdowns today. I just want to shout that out real quick to him. He did. Um, one thing I was reading uh, just kind of on the interwebs a little bit when Lance was in is the production for the running backs on the 49ers because they're a really run-heavy team. Like Shanahan is a big play-action guy. And with Trey Lance, he doesn't really kind of fit that pocket quarterback that can roll out if he needs to with Jimmy G. Um, but Trey Lance does kind of bring a different aspect to that offense, um, and it takes away from the running game, I feel like, more. So with Jimmy G in the pocket, uh, San Francisco, I feel like, is just way more dangerous because they can rely a little bit more on their run game, and Jimmy G can make those passes down the field more 
than the young Trey Lance hasn't really gotten comfortable with the NFL yet. And just like Mason was saying about establishing a pocket passer presence, that can show in the past game as well. You saw, I think it's, you saw Debo Samuel go crazy. He was about two or three yards away from an 85-yard touchdown, but it just turned out to be an 82-yard reception. But a question I just have for you guys is, like, are we ready to say that Debo is for real? Like, he's been showing really good numbers this season, and he's definitely been the number one receiver on the 49ers, and he's definitely got a lot of stats to kind of back up the talk of him being real. Oh, for sure. I mean, prior to this week, his target percentage was 31%. That's second among all players in the league behind, I believe it's just Devontae Adams behind, and Cooper Cup. He's tied with Devontae Adams, actually, for target shares, which is a very large number being in the 30s is usually unheard of for all three of those players. And the fact that he's really a real player. He's showing that he can do things with the ball in his hands. Once he gets the ball in his hands, it's not just long touchdowns with in the air it's also he's doing it with his feet when he has the ball in his hands there's also been three games this year where he's had over 150 yards receiving uh today's one of them six for nine for 171 no touchdowns unfortunately that one that he got to the one got uh cut short obviously went out of bounds but he is definitely just so much more explosive than i feel like a lot of people thought he was and he adds a factor to that offense that not a lot of people thought the 49ers would have um with like that big play-action-style uh, offense that they run. And, yeah, I mean, that wraps about that wraps up the game. There's not much else to add on to that. The next game, though, we have an AFC North vintage battle, the Steelers versus the Browns. Nice, dirty little score, 15-10. to 10. The Steelers actually went to Cleveland and won without a kicker for most of the game. Yeah, uh, Chris Bo- Boswell took an absolute lick at the beginning of the game. I love the call by Mike Tomlin being aggressive, going for it on fourth and goal with a fake field goal. But, man, that was quite a hit for your kicker to take that took him out for the rest of the game. You guys weren't able to kick an extra point or kick a field goal at all during that game, especially when you guys were driving down the field at the end and had to score a touchdown rather than kicking a field goal when you're in field goal range under two minutes. Yeah, I mean... It kind of sucked, but they did prevail. I think another thing we should talk about is that, like, Baker, I get your shoulder hurts, and he's wearing, like, a cast or, like, a protective jacket around it, but come on. We got to see more generating. He's got to generate offense more, should I say. Oh, yeah, with all the talent that he has that everyone, us included, that keeps talking about with weapons around him among galore, he should be able to produce with this offense I'm not sure what's going on with that why he can't hit his targets in Baker's defense as someone who suffered from a very similar injury to Baker um just shout out my boy Baker if you're listening I know how much I know how much that sucks that that rap they got on you can't reach anywhere uh also shout out that he went for like a first down run and got up and acted like he just won a Super Bowl. He was so amped. It was incredible to see. That's a big it's a big fire guy for an Oh offense. yeah, no. It, it was a late hit if you're looking at it. He got hit while he was out of bounds and got up absolutely fired up, which you love to he- see especially out of an injured quarterback. Yeah, it was it was pretty intense. He got smashed. Yeah, uh Besides Baker, I think another thing we got to talk about is OBJ. One target, one catch, six yards. He played the whole game. There, He didn't go out early for an injury. What's that? Is he going to get moved by Tuesday's trade deadline? I don't know. 
I would like to see him get moved for really everyone's benefit in this situation. He obviously is slowly falling out of order in this team. It's not the fact that he's leaving the rotation. It's not like other people are playing over him, but he's just not getting looked at in this offense anymore. I don't know if he just doesn't click well with Baker. I don't know if he's just not built for this scheme, but I think a new start for everyone would be beneficial. Do you think they're going to trade him, though? I, I think they could trade him. It just depends if anyone actually wants him and if they're willing to give up what they might ask for him considering he's been a Pro Bowl player. They're probably going to ask a decent price. I don't know if anyone would want to be matching that with the production that OBJ has currently. Honestly, though, I feel like you could buy low on him. I mean, what what do you think a reasonable price would be on him right now? I'd say third rounder tops. Yeah, I'd say third or fourth. That was I was going to say. Do you think that's what Cleveland is going to be asking, though? You think they're going to be willing to get rid of – Oh, they'll probably, Beckham Jr. They'll probably look pick. for more, but, like, he ain't worth anything more than maybe yeah. a second round, maybe if they're lucky, but, like, I wouldn't even do Pretty that. Pretty sure he still has a top five contract, too, for wide receivers. I think he's getting, like, 17 mil a year. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Uh, I don't know what the Browns will do. Maybe they'll do something. Who knows? But we can go. you can go right into the next game if you want. Which one do we got? Yeah, so with our next game here, we got the Philadelphia Eagles at the Detroit Lions. I think – a quick thing like we don't really got to talk about this i mean unfortunately yes i did say on wednesday the lions will win this game i was pretty confident you know seeing them at home seeing all the hard-fought games that they've had this season going against an eagles team that's pretty struggled through the past seven weeks so i was a little confident but like i would say maybe 45 to an hour in everything got shot down that was a bloodbath the eagles steamrolled them and the final score was 44 to 6. Yeah, no, it was 17 to nothing after the first quarter. I have Jalen Hurts in fantasy, so you would think looking at a 44 to 6 game, I would be happy, except the fact that they ran for a touchdown for every single touchdown, except one was a defensive touchdown as well. So it really hurts to see that Jalen Hurts also, as well as much as they won today, he's still not really doing a lot in this offense. I mean, he did run seven times for 71 yards. He's able to do it with his legs, but they can't do much throwing the ball with this team. I mean, Boston Scott had a touchdown. J- Jordan Howard had two touchdowns today. It shows that, like, they're a running team, it's starting to look like. Yeah, you're not wrong. They ran for over 230 yards and had four touchdowns, which is pretty i would say controlling demanding like they really showed it to the lions the lions only having 57 yards on the ground but yeah like you said jalen hurts really didn't do much you know 103 yards 70 71 yards on the ground running but other than that he really didn't do much it's just kind of throwing the ball for 100 yards (laughs) and just running with it jared goff too i mean you got to generate so he got sacked five times only 222 yards DeAndre Swift had a bad game, 27 yards on the ground. He fumbled. Hawkinson, I I could say a little fantasy shout out to the tight ends in both of these, in both of these teams. Dallas Gator with uh, 13 in a PPR league, and then Hawkinson with 18. Both showed out for I the mean, tight ends. I mean, they both they led both their teams in receiving. That's got to tell you something. Those are really the two bright spots. Oh, Hawkinson's the only bright spot for the Lions from today that you I think anyone could take away and. Having Goddard show out a little bit, especially after they've traded Ertz, it's showing that he's willing to be the alpha male in that tight end room now. Yeah, no, I like I like that they at least got something for Zach Ertz and Gator's doing what Ertz was doing. So 
I hope it works out for the Eagles. Maybe they can string a couple more wins and we'll be talking about them more as the season comes on. But other than that, Mason, any any takeaways from this game? Not really a lot of takeaways from the game. I just want to um, shout out my boy Dan Campbell. Um, I think he used his crying game too early in the season. I think the week or two ago when he started crying after the loss, like big-time football guy, you got to love that. Um, but I feel like this would have been way more effective after getting blown out at home 44-6 to an Eagles team that's looked less than stellar this season. Would have meant a lot more to the team if he would have started crying after this one. I will say, though, football guy, they did score a touchdown and immediately went for two after. Oh, yeah, no, it was an absolute, not even a question. They they didn't even consider taking the, the special teams, like, out there. No, and that touchdown was scored with, I guess there were seven minutes left, but, man, yeah. To make it 44-8 to eight or 44-6, to six, I mean, hey, that's a football guy, though. To that is a football own. guy. About wraps it up for that game. So moving on to the next one, we would have the Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts, which, hey, was a great overtime game that ended with the Titans winning 34-31. to 31. Hey, uh, before we go into this game, you know like stocks, like how you invest into something and you just watch it grow? When I told you guys to buy low on A.J. Brown, I wasn't kidding. And guess what? Would you look at the time? It's time to it's time to shine. We got another twenty plus point production out of AJ Brown. The next his first or the two weeks, I guess two weeks in a row that we've gotten this production, and I think he's blossoming. I think it's a spring. He's a flower, and it's just raining in April right now. It just seems like he's a late bloomer. Last year, after the first six weeks, he was the number three wide receiver in fantasy last year. And this year, after week six, these last two weeks have been seven and eight. Look, I'm going for 29 and 27 points the last two weeks. It's literally going to be A.J. Brown 2020 again, where he finished as a top 10 wide receiver, where he was one of the best players in fantasy to finish off the season. Yeah, no, I'm just really happy to see him kind of blossom. I think it was kind of... It was kind of a weird offseason move, move, adding Julio with all the injuries and all that. But even with or without Julio on that team, A.J. Brown's still going to blossom and get his targets. They're revolving him more into the snap count after his hamstring injury, and again, he's only getting stronger. So it's awesome to see that. Derrick Henry really didn't have a good game. You know, Like we said on Wednesday, he needed like 130 yards to pass 1,000 for the season. He only got half of that in 68 yards on 28 carries. Colts did a pretty good job containing him. Both quarterbacks, oddly enough, threw for over 230 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks for both of them, which was kind of weird. And Michael Pittman, you know, we can say another guy who's blossoming in the last two weeks, Michael Pittman, he's had two really good games the last two weeks, and he's some someone on your watch list. If you're benching him or not starting him, I don't think there's a doubt you should start him in your flex or wide receiver two in the next couple weeks. Oh, yeah, no, he was definitely someone that you're considering in your flex these last couple weeks. He's like a guy that you think you should be putting in there, but there might be a bigger name out there, someone that you think that's more trustworthy, but he has officially cemented himself into your lineups. He's a must-start now. He's, he's a wide receiver two flex instantly. And I think from now on, he's going to be a pretty consistent target, especially with T.Y. Hilton going down with another injury today. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, prayers up to him. It did not look good. Him just coming back to the season off a neck injury and now his head injury, head back injury today did not look good. I hope he's all good. Prayers up for T.Y. Hilton. But, yeah, that game was a hard-fought game, you know. 
not a lot of defense, but they made plays when it came down to it. The Titans picking off Wentz in overtime, setting up the game-winning field goal. But other than that, I mean, we can go to the next game, which I think was the shock of the week by far. But uh, like I said, like, fuck you know about Mike White. Who is Mike White? Mike White's the guy who went 37 for 45 over 400 yards and three touchdowns and beat the Bengals, the hot team in the AFC that everyone's kind of starting to warm up to and Prior talk about. Prior number one seed. But Mike White, Mike White coming out game. Zach Wilson who? Question mark. And shout out Mike White. He actually left a couple drives because he hurt himself and then came back, won a game against a very good, if not the best AFC team right now in the last seven weeks. Fuck you know about Mike White. Yeah, no. All of a sudden, the Jets are looking like a competent offense. They're looking smart for taking Michael Carter in the fourth round out of North Carolina. All of a sudden, running back, he went 15 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown, as well as nine catches for 95 yards, leading their receiving as well. All of a sudden, he's looking like the guy for their offense that they can run it through. It's very incredible to watch, and I think it's fun. It's honestly fun watching the Jets be good. It's something that we haven't really ever seen in our lifetime other than Mark Sanchez for a couple of years, but that really wasn't super impressive. I mean, I wouldn't say good. I mean, hey, they beat the Patriots. Not this year. No, I'm talking about back when they were good. Then. No, I'm talking about now. Oh, yeah, no, they're not good now. It's just fun to watch them beat good teams. Yeah. For sure. I, Jamar Chase kind of cooled down rapidly today. Yeah, he dropped a touchdown, but he caught one in the exact same spot they're following drive, so it was a little bit of redemption for him. But, yeah, wow, like – what a great feeling if you're a Jets fan, which there's probably not many of you out there. But, man, it was a confidence booster for the Jets. He's really not playing for much at this point. I think everyone knows that. But, hey, if you can spoil some seeding when it comes to January, go for it. Make it fun. One thing I do want to add about the Jets is, like you guys are saying, they look competent today. Mike White came in, showed up, balled out. They beat the uh, number one. If the season were to end before this week, seed. Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I definitely think if they can keep this momentum going, I don't think they will, to be honest with you. Um, but if they can keep this momentum going, I definitely think they can play spoil sport for some seeds down the line. And maybe this year we'll get them in, get them in the in the hunt graphic. Wouldn't that be insane? Yeah, I don't see that happening. But I mean, just a couple fine notes from this game. Joe Burrow also threw for two fifty and three touchdowns. He did have a pick, and Joe Mixon was able to be fancy relevant with only thirty three yards, but he did get a touchdown. So there's just a the last couple notes for this game. I don't know if Andrew wants to add anything to this game before we move on to the next one. No, I think you can take it. We can go to the next game. All right. So the next game we'd be having the Los Angeles Rams visiting the Houston Texans. So the Rams shockingly to, walked away with this one with the win, 38-22, to and there's not really a lot of things to talk about with this game. Everyone knew going into it to, that the Rams are going to whoop them in this game. They covered the spread of 13 points even. And don't, don't, don't ever let that box score think it's a, it was closer than it was because the Rams were up 38 to nothing coming into the fourth quarter, and the Houston put up 22 in the fourth quarter yeah no it was just a bunch of garbage touchdowns from having rex burkhead score a rushing touchdown brandon cook scored a touchdown and davis mills threw one to one other person i can't quite think of off the top of my head but uh it was a great game for cooper cup the best wide receiver in the league obviously going for seven catches 115 yards and a touchdown 
Daryl Henderson also had 90 yards on the ground with a touchdown. And Matt Stafford, 305 yards, three touchdowns. All very fancy, relevant players this week. Yeah, I. it's kind of weird that I'm saying this, but I do think Daryl Henderson established himself as a good starting running back for any team. Now my question with that, though, is what happens when Cam Akers comes back? I'm not a big Cam Akers fan. I think Henderson, I had more confidence and faith in Henderson last year with him. And I, I, who knows? They're a really good team. So we'll see if they want to mess up what they have right now or just split, which would kind of suck. But we'll see. I mean, that's something we got to see next year. That's also we're talking about another year. But coming back to this year, Cooper Cup is the best receiver in the league, like you said, by far. He is. He's on pace to break a lot of records, and he's currently shitting on every other receiver. So it's tough. Yeah. Also, looking back on it, just to help your Daryl Henderson talk, it was a touchdown reception to him to make him look even better this week. He's he's actually getting work in the pass game too, which is kind of crazy. So like, if you got Daryl Henderson, you're starting him. I know you might not like him because he looks like he's 35, but he's only like 26. But he is a good running back, and definitely I would definitely look to start him, and he's definitely going to produce. This game, we got the Patriots versus the Chargers, and man, what I say? I said on Wednesday the Patriots are going to get over that hump and upset a good team, and what did they do? They went into L.A. and beat the Chargers. The defense looked very potent. Giving up two picks, one for a pick six, three sacks. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely looked like a very good defensive classic Patriots win this week, especially with them having a decent run game with Damian Harris having 23 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. It definitely looked good for them. And Mac Jones looked pretty decent today. I mean, he finished 18 for 35, but he was, he hit big throws when he needed to today, which is what you can ask for out of a rookie quarterback is that they can hit it when it matters, which he was able to do that today for them. Yeah, no, he, he was. He he was very consistent, you know, didn't make mistakes, which is something that we're looking to see more often from Mac. He's not making that many mistakes. But, like, shout out the Patriots. They're 3-0 and away. 3-0 and away this season. I mean, hey, that's a definitely a good record. Uh, away games definitely, like, away wins show good teams. The Patriots aren't necessarily a bad team. They've lost all their games that they've lost have been relatively close games this year but also granted some of their wins have been close to looking at this one but i mean they did blow out the jets last week but it's the jets yeah I, i'll be interested to see what they're gonna do but i'm really happy as a fan that they're just looking better and better so we'll see next week i know they got the panthers so that's a game we should win but we'll see for the chargers there's just a couple concerns i have as being a fantasy owner of Mike Williams or just other people having Mike Williams, yeah, I'm kind of concerned for the last two weeks. Yeah, no, he had an absurd start to the season, a lot like Cooper Cups, except Cooper Cups been able to maintain it through the rest of the season. And it's starting to look like Mike Williams might be showing a little bit why he was the inconsistent person of the last four years. Hopefully it doesn't stick around for fantasy owners of him, but... I mean, there are still other players on that team that are showing the relevant. Like Keenan Allen is all reliable with six catches for 77 and a touchdown. Austin Eckler out of the backfield gained six for 60 as well. There's still targets there that Justin Herbert can hit. Granted, he did have two picks today, as you mentioned earlier, one for a pick six. But 
Austin Eckler had a decent game on the ground, too, going 11 rushes for 60 yards and a touchdown. And Justin Jackson had a 75-yard run early on in the second half. Yeah, almost a touchdown. That was kind of crazy. Shout out the second string just getting his, what, two or three carries a game and then one just busting out for 75 yards. But other than that, hey, I'm happy as a Patriots fan. They really contained the Chargers offense and stopped Justin Herbert. But, yeah, I think both teams will bounce back. The Chargers definitely, they're a really good football team, and they're going to look to bounce back next week. So we could just see. For the next game, we got your team, the Jags at the Seahawks. So, of course, in not very shockingly fashion, the Seahawks beat the Jaguars 31-7. A couple things to take away from this game is Trevor Lawrence has thrown an interception in every single game so far to start his career. He has 10 picks on the season so far in eight games, or seven games. They had a bye week last week, so that's something to take into account. I mean, Grant Peyton Manning also holds the record for most interceptions as a rookie, so could be the greatest ever to live at some point. We never know. Um... James Robinson also went out with an ankle injury today, and he didn't come back. I think it was an ankle injury. Yeah, and um, so that's something to look for and to keep in mind, especially as a fantasy owner, considering he is a top 15 back in the league right now. And also, Tyler Lockett had a great coming out party once again on the year, as he likes to go in and out throughout the season, having 12 catches for 142 yards today, and PPR, he killed it. Yeah, DK Metcalf, too, with two touchdowns, I think, 40 yards. Yeah, no, he had two touchdowns, though. Yeah, so the both it's nice to see both of the receivers for the Seahawks going off like they should be with Russ in there. Jaguars kind of sucks to see really your only fantasy-relevant player besides maybe Marvin Jones go out. James Robinson's a good running back, and I hope he's healthy. I have him on a couple of my teams, and it's just a really good story, you know, undrafted, and he's actually performing really well. So I really do hope he comes back. The one interesting thing that I have from this game for the Seahawks is the fact that they're not running the ball as much as you would think with having Russ out. I mean, Geno Smith went 20 for 24. He took care of the ball very well today, having two touchdowns, only 195 yards. But, I mean, Alex Collins only ran the ball 10 times for 44 yards. But I know Homer and uh, the other their other running backs got in as well a little bit. DJ Dallas also had a couple carries, but... They're not running the ball as much as me and you thought they would in the wake of Russell Wilson being out. Yeah, and it kind of sucks that Chris Carson might be out for the whole year. So we'll see what they'll do with their run game. Uh, The next game we got is the football team at Denver Broncos. And, man, like we were talking about on Wednesday, a true sleeper of a game. Yeah, this game is exactly what me and you thought it was going to be, a defensive slugfest that no one really wanted to pay attention to unless you're a a fan of either of these teams. Uh, Washington went into Denver, and they lost 17-10 with Denver taking the win. Teddy Bridgewater's and Jerry Judy's first game back, they did all right. Jerry Judy had, like, three catches for 40-something yards, I believe, and... Teddy Bridgewater had 19 for 26, 213 and a touchdown. So they played all right in their first game back. But, I mean, you can't expect them to go lights out for the players they are in their first games back from injury. Yeah, it like we said, it's going to be defensive. So it was pretty boring. Um, sucks if you're an Antonio Gibson owner, like I said. 
Wednesday, I would start J.D. McKissick over Gibson, but again, I didn't for some odd reason. It kind of bit me in the ass because J.D. McKissick ended up having 17 points in a PPR. But yeah, other than that, the Redskins really couldn't do much. Um, Terry McLaurin only held the 23 yards on three receptions. Antonio Gibson only with 34 yards on the ground. Heineke getting sacked five times and throwing two picks is something you don't want to see. Same could be said with Denver. Melvin, 47 yards of touchdowns, nice to see. Javante Williams, nine carries compared to Melvin's 10. And, yep. yeah, an all-around equal share of receiving for all the Denver guys. It's a pretty boring game until the end when Melvin Gordon actually fumbled on the last drive. The Broncos had such a shitty clock management at there. So that was kind of funny to see if the football team actually might doing it, but it's nice to see Denver stop their four-game losing streak. Football team, good luck. We kind of hope to see that defense of last year come back. Other than that. I mean, at this point, it's might as well almost call it a gone season, being 2-6 and six already. I mean, they're far behind in their division on the Cowboys, and they're not going to be getting any wild card going 2-6 and six right now unless they won out. So... It's a tough season for them to see, especially with what they are able to do last year, thinking they are only going to get better. And with that being said, we might as well move on to the next game, which is the Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. Things to take out of this game is that Brady looked great. Four touchdowns, almost 400 yards. The Bucks passing game looked great. The running game, not so much. The Saints, they were just better. They were just better defensively when it came to the stops that mattered, and even without Jameis Winston, they lost him mid-game with an ankle injury. Reports that it might be season-ending. I've heard. Hopefully not. I love Jameis. I hope they're good. I mean, the Saints are a good team with them. But yeah, Trevor Simeon coming back, coming in, beating the defending champs. He threw his first touchdown in three years today. Yeah, and it's just a weird game if you look at the box score. The leading Saints receiver had only had 38 yards compared to Godwin with 140. So it was kind of weird with the passing game, but they passed for over 215 yards, had over 10 different people catch a ball this game. But, yeah, it was cool to see the Buccaneers go down. I mean, i kind of just been formulating. I think Sean Payton just knows the exact thing to do when it comes to a Bruce Arians offense. Yeah, no, every single year he at least gets one very good game against them, and it shows that, you know, they aren't, like, the most perfect team out there. They're 6-2 and two this year, and it shows, like, they're still a very good team, but there are certain teams out there and certain coaches that know what to do against this team. And I think some people need to take notes because we all know they're going to be there in the playoffs. I think one thing, too, about Brady is there's always one team in a calendar year on any team, I mean, with the Patriots, it was, it was always the Dolphins. They would go to Miami, and they would lose to Miami. Last year, like the Packers did this year, they got blown out by the Saints week one, and then, I mean, they beat them down the line. I just, It's just really weird, and it's not a knock on Brady. I mean, obviously the Bucks are Super Bowl contenders still. It's not like they're, their season's over by any means. They have one of the most or the most explosive offense in the NFL. It's just crazy how there's always one team a year. It seems like we're, it's a lock for Brady to win, and it, he just comes up short. And maybe it's not a knock against Brady. Maybe it's just a laissez-faire attitude the team has going into it. I just think it's really interesting that there's always one game that gets split that you just would not expect at all for those teams. 
See, and like I personally don't think it's a knock on Brady at all. I mean, you saw a stat line. He had four four touchdowns, one interception until the last minute of the game where he threw a pick six. Kind of his fault, kind of not, but who cares? He still put up four touchdowns, almost 400 yards. He played great. I just think Sean Payton just has the right uh, formula to beat him. I mean, you saw it last year. They blew out the Buccaneers, like not even close in one of their matchups. So I think it's an expected game for them to lose looking back at the history but hey go go saints maybe they can do something they looking like a solid wild card team right now but with that recap uh that's about it for the sunday slate i mean we'll talk about tonight's game the one we're watching right now currently it's 10 10 it's a tie between the cowboys and the vikings and we'll wrap up on monday's game the giants versus the chiefs would be a shocker it'd be kind of crazy if the giants upset the chiefs but who knows the way they're playing but yeah we'll wrap up both those two games on wednesday's episode and then bring the preview but now we're going to get into some other sports that happened this weekend including ufc 267 in abu dhabi and as i said on wednesday this was a free card if you own espn 6.99 a month 60 bucks for a year i'm pretty sure plug espn plus love that shit but, yeah, it was a free card. We saw two title fights and a bunch of top 10, top 15 divisional fighters before that. And some some things to take away from this, like, I don't know about you, but there's a, I saw a lot of future champions in this card, including Kazmat Shemaev and Islam Makachev, a.k.a. Khabib 2.0. I think we can start with Kazmat. Can we just – this is how crazy this dude is right now. In his four UFC fights, he has absorbed two strikes. Yeah, he did not have one single strike against him in this fight. He absorbed two strikes in four fights, like four professional fights in the UFC, the the highest form of competition when it comes to fighting. He did two strikes. People don't take the, people take two strikes in the first thirty seconds of some fights, which is just crazy to me. And he's 10-0, and and he's finally got a number to his name. If I was Usman, I'd be a little scared because I don't see anyone not beating him because he is just running through everyone. That number is so deserved, too. I mean, he had some battles with COVID in the past that he hasn't been able to fight in the past year really at all, and now finally being able to see him get back in the ring and really show why he is one of the most up-and-coming fighters right now. You're right. It, it should be a little scary to Usman showing that he can do it all, man. That was a quick submission. Yeah, and it should be – a little scary to everyone, just judging by what he said in the press conference. He's going to kill everyone, yeah, a la Akbar. Will kill he, everyone. He claimed yeah. that he will kill everyone in the UFC. He, I don't know if he really knows, like, English. English, perfectly. yeah, the language and, like, our standard and stuff. But, man, he really put on a fucking demanding clinic, and it was just, it was disgusting to see. I would watch him for a title contender in the next year or two. Another guy is Islam Makachev. If you guys have heard UFC, you've definitely heard of Khabib. This is Khabib retired last October, and now his protege that he coaches, Islam Makachev, has finally made his way into the top three of the lightweight uh, division, having winning nine in a row. And as a Dan Hooker fan, and as like not wanting to see him Islam win because his fight style is just boring. Like once you're on the ground, it's over. He really shut everyone up and just submitted Dan Hooker within about three minutes. Yeah, see, I'm the type of guy that whenever I see Dan Hooker's name, I'm convinced that he's going to finally win one. I mean, he's on a little bit of a losing streak right now, I think, right? Did he? 
Who do you he's think? like one in three of his yeah, last Yeah, I was going to say, I know he's on a little bit of a downward spell right now, but every single time I see his name, I'm convinced that he's going to turn it around, and I bet on him every single time. Shockingly, this weekend, I once again lost money on him. Yeah, no, props to you for doing that because his odds were like plus 500 or something. But like when you sent me that, I was like, well, I said ballsy pick on Dan Hooker, and obviously it showed like these Russians, they run through people, and it's not even a joke. Like he made a top five top six technically guy looked like he was nothing and if i'm in that division i'm also scared i'm also scared about his title reign like he that's going to be a khabib the the way they fight the way that they their techniques on the ground like they all have it it'll be scary and i don't know if people are ready for it but i don't see him losing in a fat amount of time either one thing i will mention about his fighting style i know it's uh andrew mentioned it's really uh representative I mean, Khabib being his coach. Andrew mentioned that he thinks it's kind of a boring fighting style. I actually, like, I'm not as a big of a USC guy, but I think the fighters who can go into a fight and know that once the fighting hits the mat, that it's over, there's just something so beautiful about that fighting style where you know that if you get locked in with the person, he knows how to use your own body against you to the point where there's nothing that you can do because eventually you'll be too tired to defend yourself and then you're getting choked or you're being submitted or you, you're, arm bar, you're in an arm bar. It's just, I feel like that's just a very underappreciated and beautiful style of fighting that is very effective in the UFC because not a lot of people want to have that rough, rough go of rolling around on the mat for that long. So I just wanted to shout out that I, I really, really appreciate that fighting style and I think that those fights are some of the best. Yeah, and then I guess we can go in the next, the last two fights we saw for the Bantamweight Intern Championship, a champion title, and then light heavyweight champion fight. And they were good fights. I think the Bantamweight fight was pretty highly contested. Peter Yan winning unanimous decision, four rounds to one. Most judges had it. But I wouldn't take away, you can't take away from the scorecard and what they had because Sanhagen put up a great fight. And it's just showed in these highly contested fights where he had with TJ Dillashaw and now Peter Yan. He doesn't belong anywhere outside of the top five. He's always going to be a high contender. I don't see him going away from this high this high fight style and level. He looked really good, but I'm not going to knock on Peter Yan because he obviously technically deserves to be rightfully champion, but he got the belt back, and then he's going to fight Sterling for the rematch. So shout out Peter Yan. And then the last fight... Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira. That was a surprise. I honestly didn't expect Glover, 42-year-old Glover Teixeira to choke out Jan in the second round when Jan said he would finish Glover in the second round upcoming in the press, the pre-conference. I thought it was kind of crazy. I didn't think the 42-year-old would win. Granted, Jan's only 37. But, yeah, it didn't really look close. Jan, Jan kind of looked defeated. Yeah, no, I didn't watch the fight personally, but a couple things I saw that I had to take away from it is that Glover Teixeira once fought for the belt previously against, of course, John Bones Jones nine years ago and lost very easily and handily. And this is the longest tensure ever between two title fights to try and obtain the title. And he's also the oldest champion ever to be a first-time champion. I think that's pretty impressive for Glover Teixeira, who as I also was reading, has been a very consistent top three, top five contender in light heavyweight his whole entire career. Yeah, no, like props to him. 
I didn't really want him to win, but like I, as a fan, you kind of just step back and you're just happy for him to fulfill his dreams at such an old point in his career. So good for him. Other than that, that's about it for the UFC card. I know we're going to be talking about the next UFC card coming this Saturday. We're going to be talking that on Wednesday show. You don't want to miss that card. I'm telling you right now, like one of the most anticipated rematch, Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman. It's coming back Saturday live, 9 p.m. on Central, 10 p.m. Eastern at MSG. It's going to be big. I wouldn't miss it if I were you. But enough for the UFC talk. We can go into baseball. We got the Fall Classic, the World Series, and can we just say the Braves might do it? The Braves, it's looking like they might do it right now. Uh, currently looking at what the score is right now as we're recording, they're at the top of the fifth with the Braves leading 5-4, to four. and I can tell you this was definitely not the matchup, let alone the, the team that we thought could be winning the World Series tonight. No, it, it's crazy to me. Like I hate the Astros just as much as any other baseball fan or a fan in general of just quality sports non-cheating but yeah the Braves like no one really counted on them their pitching was like okay it wasn't like the best and they lost their best player in Ronald Acuna before the all-star break and that's their best player their franchise player and they definitely prevailed and they're literally one game away from winning the World Series yeah, no, this is obviously no one would have expected this, especially with Ronald Acuna going out with an in, with a torn ACL before the All-Star break. But does this mean anything for them as a team? Kind of like when we looked at the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. It's like a, you can do it without them. Does it really look like you always need to pay big bucks for people in order to win games then? See, I think it's different. I mean, judging that Acuna is a high-level outfielder and his bat's only going to help a team as Carson Wentz was the leader of an offense I think baseball's a little different I mean you put him instead of like Jorge Soler who they picked up uh, before after the all-star break before the trade deadline their team's going to be better with a better player the defense won't slack at all so I mean I do get it they do pay a lot for him but I think they're ended up being worth it I mean he showed it when he played before he got injured he was leading top three in RBIs home runs so he looked good I I don't know I don't know it'd be that much of a problem but other than that I mean it's just crazy to me because the Houston Astros are just a better baseball team just looking at like stats names like their team is definitely deeper and complete more complete than the Braves who have battled injuries and a lot of new faces that starting in the World Series that weren't on the team starting this season but hey if they can do it props to them because i'm not going to take anything away from the astros they're a very good team yeah no you definitely can't take anything away from the astros in this they are a very good team they have a very good pitching rotation they have a very young lineup but the thing with me is the fact that atlanta's pitching has been you know a bend but don't break during this series there's been games where they're a little bit higher in scoring there's also been games where they won 2-1 a couple nights ago but the thing is, is that Will Smith at the end of that bullpen has been amazing for them. And also Craig Mortensen, right? That's his name, I believe. Charlie. Charlie Mortensen has been great for them, except I think he's injured now. So yeah, Charlie Morton, he um, yeah, he broke his tibula as he was pitching and then proceeded to get three outs on a broken leg. Kind of badass, but yeah, he's out for the foreseeable future. But on Wednesday's show, we'll hopefully wrap up the World Series. I know game... 
five is right now. It's tied five five, top fifth. Actually, breaking news now it's seven five Astros, top fifth. Someone just hit a double. Cool for that. But we'll keep you updated with the World Series and how it goes. Part of me wants the Braves to win today, but part of me doesn't because it'd be kind of cool if baseball was in November, judging by November's tomorrow. That'd be kind of cool for me. But other than that, that's about it. We'll wrap it up Wednesday's show. And we hope you guys have a great day, and we'll see you guys Wednesday. Love you guys.